0: There's something nostalgic about home, about this idea of home for Christmas, and in this series we've been talking about this idea that God has to, to live in our homes, not only in our physical homes, but in our hearts, in our, in our homes, and that he desires for us to invite him into our lives to be at home, and there's nothing greater than decorating your home. Come on, how many of you decorated this year your home for Christmas? All right, anybody? Yeah, Okay. How many of you had, had, to, had to repent to Jesus after you put up that tree and some of that stuff? Anybody in here? This, this year, I put up stuff. My boys have been asking me for the whole, probably I felt like it was all year, if I was going to put up Christmas lights outside on the house. And uh, last year, I did a little strip right down on the front. And uh, this year, I, I, went, I went Griswold, Griswold style. Um, I wrapped it around the tree. <laughs> And it's pathetic, by the way. My wife reminds me every time we pull in the driveway, that tree is pathetic. That's a little like the six-year-old went out there and wrapped a tree. But I thought, hey, it's a start. We did the house and the tree. But there's something about uh, decorating for Christmas and getting all of your stuff ready and the smells of Christmas, being home, it's amazing. One of the things that we normally have and many homes have is what is a nativity scene? And, and you'll see a bit of a nativity scene up here. And uh, how many have a nativity scene in your home? Anybody in here have a nativity scene? Okay. Yeah. So the nativity scene is, is really a, a staple in a lot of homes when it comes to Christmas. And not only do you see it inside the homes for decorations, oftentimes you'll see it in their yards. Um, you'll see it in the city. You'll see it on Christmas cards. I mean, you see it all over, but the nativity scene is such a huge part of Christmas. And of course, you got all your kind of characters in the Christmas story. You got, you got baby Jesus. Come on, how many of you know? And you got to say baby Jesus, right? Come on, everybody say that. Say baby Jesus. So we got baby Jesus up in here. All right. And then we got, we got Mary and Joseph here, which reminds me of a story. There's a story of a little boy who um, was writing a letter to God and he was telling God, uh, he's praying for different Christmas gifts for uh, for Christmas. And so he decided he was going to write a letter to God. And so he started off a letter and he said, Dear God, I just wanted you to know that I have been good for six months. And then he scratched through it and he said, no, no, no. Dear God, just want you to know I've been good for three months. And then he no, and he scratched that out and he said, Okay, dear God, I've got to be honest. I've been good for about two weeks. And he goes to continue on. And I guess the conviction of the Holy Spirit came over him yet again. He crossed through two weeks, throws his pencil down, runs to the living room, goes to the nativity scene, grabs Mary, wraps her up, brings her into his room, sticks her in his drawer, comes back to the paper, and he says, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) So we got Mary and we got Joseph. That's funny. I don't care what you're saying. That's, that's hilarious. And then we got the shepherds. Think about this. The shepherds are some of the lowliest people with the lowliest occupation, and yet God decides to bring the greatest news to the lowliest people. Come on, that'll preach all by itself. That God comes to the lowliest people to give the greatest news of all joy. So you got your shepherds there, and then, of course, you got your wise men. Now, most of us think that there were three people there. But actually, the Bible doesn't tell us if there were only three people there. Y'all know why we think there's only three? Because they brought three gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And and, and I don't wanna even want to kind of bust your Christmas bubble, but these guys weren't actually at the nativity scene. Did you know that? The wise men didn't show up till almost two years later. So I don't know how they got into the picture. Maybe because they brought good gifts. They're good gift givers. So like include them in. So we got the wise men who showed up and then of course we have the animals, the, the camel and the donkey and and all of them in this story. Now, the real question is not whether or not if you have a nativity scene like this set up in your house. Some of you may, some of you not. The, the real question we've got to really answer though is this, is how is this set up in your heart? Because the truth is the nativity scene really is a really good picture of life. And and something there's something in our lives that is at the center of our life. In the nativity scene it's it's baby Jesus. <laughs> baby Jesus is the center of the nativity scene, but how many of you know in all of our lives there's something that's at the center too. We all have something that's at the center of our lives that we revolve our life around that we draw strength from. And this is what I've learned. You can have all of the pieces of the nativity scene, but if you don't have it set up right, it's not right. And I've learned this also in life, is you can have all of the things. You can even have Jesus be a part of it, but if it's not in the right place, it's still wrong, right? And I'm I'm here to tell you that if your life is not working right right now, Maybe let's ask the question, am I set up right? All right? We might just not be set up right. What we do is we do have Jesus and we, we do go to church, but it's kind of maybe on the, the outside of things. It's maybe on Sundays. And then what we end up having maybe, let's, let's talk about these. And so you should have some notes. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you some notes here. So let's talk about the shepherd. Let's put the shepherd in the center. The shepherd is the center. The shepherd represents my job. Shepherds represent my job. This is for all of us in here, most of us that work, 85% of your week is probably summed up with this guy, with your job. 50% of your life will be at a job, by the way. Ooh, better like it. But here's what I've learned in life is that oftentimes we can define ourselves by the job that we have. When we prove it to you, when you meet somebody new for the very first time, there's two questions that you ask them. First off, what's your name? Second off, what do you do? What do we do? For us, it's, it's a it's a status to be able to say, I do this, or I do this, or we're embarrassed maybe even of what we do because we feel like there's there's... Uh, A security, or there's an image that we get based off of what we do, and we dedicate our lives. And there's many men and women who their life is centered around their work, around their job. Everything is second to the job. The kids are second to the job. The marriage is second to the job. The job is first. And can I just tell you this? Your job will make a terrible God. It'll make a terrible God. We've been designed to worship God and Jesus at the center and not worship our job. And if your life is not working right, it might be because you're looking to your job to, put, to, to fulfill something in your life that your job was never meant to fulfill. So we have the job. Let's, let's, let's look at some other. Maybe, let's just say, maybe you don't have the job. Maybe you have the wise men in the center. you got these characters, okay? So we put the wise men in the center, and the wise men represent... My stuff. Now we know this about the wise men. The wise men were really wealthy. Why do we know that? Because they brought gold, frankincense. How many of you know if somebody bringing gold to the party, they're wealthy? All right? Come on. How many wives in here? You can bring gold to my party any day. Okay. All right. These guys are bringing, bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These guys are bringing some great gifts. These guys are wealthy. These guys make a good amount of money. These guys have the stuff that we all long for. But here's the thing about stuff. If we center our lives around wealth, or we center our lives around stuff, or we center our lives around possessions, here's what money will do. Money will try to lie and tell you that it'll give you everything your wildest dreams. And here's the thing that I've learned about money is that money always promises stuff that it can't deliver. Come on, how many you know you can't buy happiness? How many know you can't buy peace? Y'all know that, right? You can't buy it. I know people who have more money than you and I could ever have in our lives and are so miserable because money does not fulfill this core longing inside of our lives. And we can set ourselves up in such a way that we can put money or our job or our stuff at the center of our lives, and then we realize that it doesn't actually satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And, and we know this because when you look all throughout Scripture, you see in the Old Testament, you see a guy named Job. Everybody know about Job? Job loses everything, loses all of his stuff, loses all of his family, loses all of his money, and in the end, he finds out that Jesus is more than enough. And then look at this. And then you go just a couple books over, and you get Ecclesiastes, a guy by the name of King Solomon. He had, every, he had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends. How many of you know he was broke? but he really wasn't. He actually had the most money in the world. The Bible said that he was the wisest man in the world. He had everything at his disposal, and at the end of Solomon's life, he says this, that Jesus is more than enough. So you have both guys who lose everything, and he says Jesus is enough, and then a guy who's got everything, and he says Jesus is enough. So hey, maybe Maybe it's not stuff. Maybe you don't put, maybe your life's not centered around stuff. Maybe you just don't have that much stuff and, and that's just the way life has been for you. So maybe your life's not centered around stuff. But, but let's maybe take Joseph and Mary here and let's put them now at the center. And Joseph and Mary represent our relationships. Our relationships, our family, our children, those that we love. We even say things like family first. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Family first. I mean, it sounds great. But can I tell you why? This is why so many people get hurt. Because what we end up doing is we put pressure on people to be something they were never designed to be. We put almost a godlike figure on people. That's why when that man hurts you, it crushes your world because you put way too much pressure on him to be your God. Which, by the way, men make terrible gods. That was your chance, wives. You could have said, all right, amen. Men do, and women do too. And if we center our lives around relationships, we're gonna set ourselves up. I've had somebody ask me before, man, does Lindsay make you happy? Which is my wife. And I love messing with people like that because I'll tell them, no, she does not. And they're like, "Ah, what? Listen, I love my wife, and my wife loves me but I was happy before her. My wife doesn't make me happy. My happiness and my joy comes from Jesus, which allows her to be a blessing to me, but now I don't have to make sure that she's a God, and because she's gonna disappoint me. Y'all with me here? Come on, how many of you been married long enough you know they're gonna disappoint you, all right? And if you set them up as the center of your world when they hurt you, it's never the same. So relationships, we can't put our hope in the happiness of people. Okay, well, that must be it. Well, I'm going to take it another step further. We're going to take some animals. Yeah. We're going to put the camel and the donkey right up in the middle. All right? So, they say, what in the world? Pastor Josh, I've never centered my life around animals. Yes, you have. I've seen your Instagram. <laughs> I've seen it. Actually, the other day, I was looking on Instagram, and I saw this. Listen, this is how you know. You center Your life around your animals, which, by the way, your animals represent your hobbies. We'll get into this a little bit more. But I want to show you. I want to show you a picture. This is how you know that your animals are the center of your world. Look at that. That dog, that dog is like, get me out of here. Get me away from these people. I got another one for you, actually. Look at this. Look at that cat. Look at that That cat's like, I hate you. I'm going to scratch your eyes out while you're sleeping. Just want to let you know. Don't dress your animals in Christmas stuff. Okay, so maybe, maybe you don't put your animals, but these animals represent what brings you pleasure in life. So it's so much more than just animals. This could be your sports. This could be your hobbies. This could be hunting. This could be shopping. This could be recreation. This could be a lake house. This could be whatever you want it to be. But we put that in the center of our lives. It's what gives us the greatest pleasure in our lives. And listen, by the way, God created you to enjoy things. God created sports for you to enjoy. God created uh, animals for you to enjoy. All of these things were designed to give you pleasure. But if you put them at the center, come on, they're going to let you down. Come on, how many how many you know if you put your hope in a football team, they'll let you down? Come on, do I have any saints in the house? I'm about to put the bag over. I'm about to put the bag over. I've, I've, I've heard of people saying that their emotions are up and down based off of wins and losses. You know what that tells me? It's at the center. It's at the center. The centers represent the things that give us pleasure. Now, here's the thing that I love that I get to do, though, as, as a pastor, is I love that my job is really not just preaching. Really, I don't even feel like I really like to preach that much. But what I do actually enjoy doing as a pastor is I love helping people reorder their life. Amen. So what I enjoy doing is I actually like telling people, see, this is where marriage goes. And see, this is where your jobs go. And see, listen, this is, it's great that you have, have, uh, you know, the fame and that you have wealth and you have your stuff, but this is really where it goes. And it's great that you have hobbies and I'm glad you enjoy them and I hope you enjoy them. But this is where we go. And hey, by the way, look, this is where, this is where Jesus goes. That's my job. My job is to reorder and help you reorder your life because on, on Sundays, what I do is I help put Jesus back in the center. And so tonight, that's my plan, is to help put Jesus back in the center. So with that, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is about three pages. It's a small book. You can read it in about two minutes. If any of you want to read your Bible and you want to read it in two minutes, go to Colossians. Colossians is not really a Christmas book. It's not the Gospels. But I think it's going to help us when it comes to this idea of rearranging and reordering our life to making sure that Jesus is at the center. Colossians chapter 1, if you look at the title of Colossians chapter 1, maybe in your Bible, the title of it says the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ means that that Christ is supreme, that he is first. We've talked about this in the past couple of months, this idea of putting God first in our lives, that he is the supreme overall, that everything revolves around it, much like the sun. How many of y'all know how the sun works? The sun is supreme. Every other planet in our solar system revolves around the sun, which, by the way, if you come to OSC and you love Jesus and you're a Christian, you know what your sun is? The sun. His name's Jesus. Come on, how many you know Jesus? We revolve everything around Jesus. He is the center of of it all. So I want to talk to you and we're going to wrap this message up being very practical. I love practical messages. I feel like what we, what we hear on a Sunday morning should help us on Monday morning. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. So I'm a, what you hear on a Friday night is going to help you on Saturday morning. And so let's get real practical. How do we make sure that this Christmas season we keep Jesus at the center? How do we do that? Number one, we invite Jesus to take his rightful place. We invite Jesus to take his rightful place. Let's go to Colossians chapter one, verse 15, and it says this. It says, we look at this son and see the God Who cannot be seen. Let's stop there. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. So there was a time in the Old Testament where they heard of God, they saw the miracles of God, but they never saw God. And so God said, You know what? I'm going to let them see me. And so he comes down, which is the whole reason we celebrate Christmas as a Christ child puts on the form of a man and becomes a baby and a stable for you and I. And then here's the deal. God didn't just come just to die on the earth. Because if he came only to die on the earth, he would have came down as a man, died on the earth, and then said it's over. But he didn't, did he? He came down as a baby. He lived 33 years. Why would God live 33 years because he wanted to make sure that he fully experienced everything that you and I would experience. Why? So it would qualify him to be your best friend. Come on, how many glad that we serve a God who's gone through everything we've gone through. He's gone through betrayal. He's gone through hurt. He's, he's comes from a family of sinners. This is the Jesus that we celebrate. That I love John chapter 1 in the message. It says, God came down and moved into the neighborhood. Come on, how many glad Jesus moved into the neighborhood? He came down from his earth, from his heaven. Come on, how many you know he was living high? And he came down as a missionary into our world, full of sin, full of people who hated him, and he lived a life for 33 years. So this verse, we look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen is this Jesus that we talk about. Now look at this, and we look at this son, and we see God's original purpose in everything created. So when we look at Jesus, we see the intentions. Now look at this, for everything, absolutely what? Come on, everybody help me. Absolutely Everything Everything. above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels. Everything got started. Now help me with these two words. And finds its what? Purpose Purpose in him. Listen, nothing that was created, your marriage, your kids, your jobs, the sports, the wealth, everything that was created was created in him and for him. Everything was created for him. So let me ask you this. When all is going wrong, where do you turn to? Now listen, if, you're, if, you're, if your car broke down, and your truck broke down, I promise you, you will not be bringing it to me. I promise you. I don't even take care of my own car when, I, when something's wrong in my car, I don't bring it to, I either call guys in the church or I bring it to a mechanic to go get it worked on. Because how many of you know, if your car's broke down, the best chance of you getting it right is to go back to the person who made it, right? We're going to go right back and I'm going to send it right back to the person who made it. Come on, how much more when your life is all in disarray, you just go back to the one who made you? Come on, he's got the purpose. This says that he was created, everything, absolutely everything finds its purpose in him. Now, I love this part, and this is what it says, he was there before any of it came into existence, and I love this, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. I am dedicating this Christmas message tonight to every person that is in this room, decked out and looks great on the outside, but on the inside, you are falling apart. Where everything at home is falling apart. And in Christmas, we can sugarcoat things with carols and cookies and Christmas and all the things that we do, but in the depths of our heart and soul and even in our family, there is dysfunction and hurt and things falling out of order. And could I just for one minute say that if things are falling out of order in your life, could it be that things are out of order in your heart? Could it be that Christ is not the center? So how do we keep Christ as the center? We invite him to come in and take his rightful place in our hearts. We invite him. You know, Jesus is not a... um, He's, he's not a wedding crasher. He's not a, he's not a bully. He doesn't barge in. He's a gentleman. And he knocks. And he stands at the door and he waits to be invited in. Actually, let's look at this verse. We shared it in week one of this series, but I want to go back to it. It says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Look, I stand at the door, and what do I do? Knock. I knock. And listen, watch this. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Come on, how many of you know, some of, for some of you, he's been knocking. And he will knock and knock and knock. And listen, he will not step in unless invited. He will not step in unless invited. For some of you, he's been knocking for a long time. But listen to me on this. You would be surprised at where God goes when he's invited. If you go and you look all throughout scripture, Jesus shows up when people invite him. I mean, he showed up whenever his friend died and his his friend's sister said, we need Jesus. He showed up. Jesus wasn't invited to a wedding. He showed up. Hey, the Bible says that when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For guess what? He shows up. Jesus will show up wherever he is invited, and he will come into the most mundane places of this. Listen, this whole nativity scene is the fact that God will show up in some of the messiest places. Come on, somebody. Come on. How I many know, if God is invited, he will show up in your Honda Accord on the way to work. Because y'all know Jesus only shows up in an accord, by the way. You know that, right? They were all in one accord. It's scriptural. It's in Acts y'all didn't know that maybe he'll show up in a Chevy I don't know maybe but I know right now that wherever you invite God in he'll show up he'll show up he always shows up that's why listen that's why we lift up our hands in worship and we say things like you're welcome in this place you know what we're doing? You are invited in this place. You are welcome here in this place. And can I tell you right now, a lot of you are experiencing what you're experiencing because of what you've invited. And based off of what you invite is what you have to deal with, by the way. Some of us have to deal with the stress of credit card debt in January because of what we invited in December. Come on, can we speak straight, all right? This is how it is. Where you invite God, he steps in. So let me just ask you a real poignant question. Have you invited Christ in for this Christmas season? Because God is such a gentleman, he'll let you go through the entire Christmas season stressed out if you don't invite him. If we don't invite Jesus into this season, he won't show up. Oh, and by the way, the other thing is that in order for you to invite Jesus in your home and in, you've got to make room for him. The reason Jesus had to show up in a stable was because the innkeeper didn't have any room for him. So he had to show up in a manger scene because there was no room for him. And for some of us, Jesus isn't stepping in because there's no room because we filled it with every other unwelcome guest. Can I tell you some unwelcome guests that you need to make sure don't step into your home and into your heart? Fear. It's not welcome here. Worry, it's not welcome here. Stress, it's not welcome here. Come on, how many of you need to put a, a sign on the front of the door of your heart and say, it is not welcome here? Yeah. Jesus, you're welcome here. Fear, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. And listen, if you want Jesus to show up, you gotta make sure you make some room for him. Right. Second one is this. So first off, we've gotta invite him in to the rightful place. And number two is we've gotta involve him in every area of our life. We've got to involve him in every area of our lives. When I talk about this, what I'm saying is that God doesn't want to be your Sunday God. Y'all listen to me on this. God does not want to be your Sunday from 9 to 10 or 10 to 11 or whenever you go to church time. God wants to be, come on, how many of you know God wants to be your Tuesday morning God? And He wants to be your Thursday afternoon stressed out work job God. And He wants to be, how am I going to deal with these kids? God. He wants to be in every mundane little moment. Come on, how many of you know Jesus will meet you right there in that kitchen when you're trying to fry that turkey and bake that turkey for all them people that are coming away you don't even want to do it? Come on, how many of you know? If we just involve Him, the problem is we don't invite Him and we don't involve Him. We say, God, I got this, and God says, Go for it. Yes. Come on, how many? How many had your kids go? Yeah, I got this, Dad. I got this, and you're like, Okay, you go right on ahead. And they trying, and they trying, they trying, they trying, they trying, and they just struggling. And you know, you could step in and just take care of it real quickly. But you, you, you teaching them a lesson, right? Because you just waiting for them to go. Hey, Daddy, can I? Can you help me? Sure, I'm, no problem. And Jesus does that with us. Oftentimes in our own lives, we do our own thing. We want to center our life around a bunch of other things. He just sits and he just waits patiently. And he draws us and he draws us and he draws us and he waits to be invited and he waits to be involved. God wants to be involved. And last but not least is number three, is I believe if we want to keep Christ at the center. We've got to ignite a fresh passion to know God more. I love that this whole year, 2016, That every year ends with us focusing on Christmas and Jesus. Come on, how awesome is that? We end the year focusing on Jesus. Now, here's a really cool part. And then one week later, we get to start fresh and new all over again. How amazing is that? That we get to start a brand new year in seven days from Sunday. Get to start all over again. You know what that tells me? God, I pray, if anything, that in 2017, come on, how many want to pray this prayer? God, ignite a fresh passion in me to know you more, to love you more, to serve you more. Come on, anybody in this place? Come on, I want that. I want that. I hope you want that. And I'm going to tell you if, you, if you came here to our church at any length of time, you would hear me say this all the time. Give us one year. One year. Come to every service that you can come to. Get involved in Next Step. Get plugged into a life group. Just get connected to people. Get involved in the church. Get involved in that. And after one year, if you come up to me and go, man, nothing's ever changed, I'll go to another church with you. (laughs) I will. But I'm going to promise you right now, I've never had one person ever do that to me. I've had people come at the end of the year and go, you won't even believe what God's done in my family. You don't even believe what God has done in my heart. You won't even believe what God's done in my kids. I'm going to tell you, try me. Invite Jesus to be the center. Invite him. Involve him in all of the mundane. Involve him in the mess. He wants to be in the mess of your life. Involve him in the mess. And then out of that, pray and pray and pray that God would ignite a fresh passion inside of you for more of him. So with that, I want you just to bow your heads all across this room. Maybe you're here, and you, you listen, you, you know God. You go to church. Maybe you got a Bible. Maybe Jesus is one of these, these pieces. He's, he's a piece. You got all the pieces right. But the truth is, your life's really not making sense right now. And you're realizing right now, the reason it's not making sense is because Jesus isn't the center of it all. You got something else that's there. I believe today God wants to challenge you and God God wants you to invite him into the center of it all. If that's you in this place, you say, today, I want to make this Christmas be a Christmas that Jesus, he's the center. He's the center and I want to invite him in Would you just right here, right there where you are, nobody looking around, come on, would you just raise your hand and say, count me in on that, man. I wanna invite him in, I wanna invite him in. Come on, hands going up all over this place, all over this place. Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that you would continue to speak to each person in this room. God, right now, Lord, we say we're sorry. God, we repent of putting other things in the center. God, we ask, Lord, that you would help us Help us to keep you in the center. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for him not only coming as a baby, but living 33 years and living as an example, living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died to be in our place. Today, this Christmas, we make a commitment to put you first, to put you center of everything that we do from this day forward.